You know, they followed the letter of the law, but notice they were disobedient to the spirit of the law. You did this on the Sabbath? How dare you? You broke God's law. And God's like, I made the law. And you know what? A man is more important. Is it really that big of a deal to heal somebody, to do good on the Sabbath? Welcome, everyone, to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible-teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with senior pastor and teacher Rob Kellogg. Our study today starts out with the scripture regarding Jesus' healing on the Sabbath. For this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him. Remarkably, the healing seemed to make no difference to those who persecuted Jesus. All they could see was that their religious rule was broken, a rule that went beyond the command of Scripture itself. Because of this, they launched a campaign against Jesus which didn't slow down until his death on the cross. The Apostle Paul wrote in Galatians chapter 2, verse 21, I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness comes through the law, then Christ died in vain. Now let's join Pastor Rob. Let's open our Bibles to John's Gospel, chapter 5. The chapters in John are, are very lengthy, and uh, you know there's a lot here, and so... What I'd like to do is, we looked at verses 1 through 15 uh, uh, two weeks ago, and it spoke of a, a, a man from um, in Jerusalem there at the Pool of Bethesda. We visit this site when we go to Israel, and we're planning on going next uh, March, so if you want to go, start praying, start saving your money. <laughs> uh, but we go to this place, and uh, this man who was uh, lame for thirteen, or excuse me, 38 years, the Lord sees him and heals him, and because it was on the Sabbath, the religious leaders and the Jews at the time took offense to that because that he did a work on the Sabbath day. And, and Jesus really took them to task for this, and we see it in the other Gospels where Jesus, he does, he, he, he gets into them about this. And then later on, we know that this man, after he's healed, he, he sees Jesus in the temple. And the Lord tells him, he says, See, you have been made well. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon you. And the man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had told him to, to take up his bed and walk. To take up his bed and walk after he had been crippled for 38 years. Imagine that. And so it brings us to verse 16, and my hope is to get through the entire chapter this morning, but let's, let's look, read uh, verses 16 through 23, and we'll see how far we go here. It says, Now for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus 
And they sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them and said, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath, but notice, he also said that God was his father, making himself equal with God. And then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives life to them, even the son, even so the son gives life to whom he will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son just as they honor the Father. And he who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Father, we just thank you for this passage. And Lord, we ask that you just open our hearts to receive it, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's go back to verse 16 there. It says, for this reason, for, for the reason of healing on the Sabbath, that, that, Jesus, uh, that, that the Jews sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Now, in Matthew 15, we know that the Jews had many laws and many rules. And, and isn't it true that whenever God gives a command, it, it, it's, it seems like man likes to take that rule or that law or that... Um, statute, whatever it is, and he likes to add to it. He can't just leave well enough alone. He can't just look at it and say, that's enough. In actuality, it really is enough because we, we prove that we can't even do the things he tells us. Is there anyone here who looks at the Ten Commandments and go, yep, done it, been there, got the t-shirt? <clears throat> None of us can say that we fulfilled it. Even this very day, most of us, if not all of us, have sinned in some way and broken one of those commandments. And yet the Jews, they, they, and again, not to be too hard on them, but Jesus was hard on them because they took what was simple and they start building a, a whole doctrine around it and making their own rules and regulations. And that's really what we see in Matthew 15. Remember, it says, the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem, they came to Jesus saying, why do your disciples transgress, notice, the tradition of the elders? If you're transgressing the commandments of God, that's one thing. But they say, why do they transgress the tradition of elders? Well, who made you God? Why should I follow the traditions of man when the commandments of God are enough? Thank you very much. He said, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. Oh, my goodness. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother, and he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. And isn't that true of us? You know, as, as, we, as we talk about the Jews here, and specifically the religious leaders, I find in myself this very same thing. 
And it's something that has to be resisted. It's something that has to be turned away from. Because we can. We can get self-righteous. We can get focused on all these things when God made it very simple. And honestly, the very simple thing I struggle with. So I don't need to add any more. Do you follow me? And so now, you know, they followed the letter of the law, but notice they were disobedient to the spirit of the law. You did this on the Sabbath? How dare you? You broke God's law. And God's like, I made the law. And you know what? A man is more important. Is it really that big of a deal to heal somebody, to do good on the Sabbath? Wasn't the Sabbath made for man and not man for the Sabbath? But they were upset with him because he had done that. So the Jews had turned his commandments into something they were never meant to be. And and, and we know the scripture. The Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man is also Lord over the Sabbath. Let me ask you something. Do you have a Sabbath? Do you have a time where you can rest, where you can worship, where you can get in the Word yourself, where you can spend time with your family? Where you can rest your bodies and rest your minds. It's good for you to have a day off, you know. In our country, for most people, they enjoy two Sabbaths. Saturday and Sunday, right? The work week is usually Monday through Friday for most people. And you got Saturday and Sunday. In America, we get two Sabbaths. But do you take those days and, and rest? Do you seek to bless God on those days? Again, resting, spending time with Him, worshiping Him. Spending time with your families. I don't know about you, but in our country, I know that we work hard and we also play hard, don't we? Sometimes we have to go back to work to get some rest. But God established this model of resting and having a Sabbath back in Genesis. You know that after all the heavens and the earth and all the hosts of them were finished, after his creation, it says, on the, on the seventh day, God ended his work, which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, which he had done. And then God blessed the seventh day, and he sanctified it. He hallowed it, because in it he rested from all the work which he had created and made. And, and it was pertinent, it was necessary for us to do the same thing. And again, but the Jews had taken that to the nth degree. And now Jesus was under the microscope for healing a man on the Sabbath. And do you ever notice that Jesus doesn't, um, he does things according, he doesn't do things according to man's timetable. He does it according to his own timetable. There are at least five other times in the scripture that Jesus healed or did some miracle on the Sabbath on this holy day when they were supposed to just relax and enjoy. And I wonder if Jesus walked the earth today, he would frustrate all those who lead a legalistic life. He would frustrate them, just like he did. He frustrated them back then. Just following, straining at a gnat, but swallowing a camel. Looking at everything under the microscope, but missing, you know, not seeing the forest from the trees. You know, that's the way it was. But here's the thing, you cannot put God in a box. Has anybody tried to put God in a box? Doesn't work very well, does it? We like to have things nicely and conformed and nicely uh, cut and put into nice little pigeonholes. We like that in our life, but life has a way of taking those boxes and those little places and throwing them out and saying, now what are you going to do? Isn't it true? 
Sarah experienced one this morning by waking up and finding that her grandmother had passed away. We like everything nice and neat, and sometimes things just happen to us, happen around us, and happen to us that we could have never have seen. But you can't put God in the box, and the way he does something today may be completely different than what he does a different day, but he never denies himself. He never goes against the spirit of his word. The spirit, not the letter so much, but the spirit. Because a letter of the law would say, do nothing on the Sabbath day. But Jesus said, there's a man who needs to be healed, and I'm going to heal him. I know it's the Sabbath. And again, if I were Jesus, I would only have healing services on on the Sabbath. Just to frustrate the religious leaders. But God can use, he can use anything. So Jesus, verse 17, back in our text, says, My father has been working until now, and I have been working. Notice the the Jews did not miss the fact that Jesus was speaking of the father as his father, thus equal with him. They knew very well what he was saying. And in saying so, he was signing his death warrant because it wouldn't be long after this. As they began to hear, and they're like, no, that wasn't a mistake. He said, my father, not your father, not our father, but Jesus said, my father, making himself equal. And he didn't make himself equal. He was equal. He didn't make himself that way. He was and is equal to the father. And Jesus' work on earth was in tandem with the Father. It wasn't separate from him. Notice what it says in John 4.34. Jesus said, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. And you remember that night before Jesus was wrongfully arrested and crucified. What did he say at that, at that, that, that last supper there in the upper room? He told his disciples, I have glorified you on the earth and I have finished the work which you have given me to do. He still had yet to go to the cross, but in his mind he had already done it. It was already a done deal. Everything was in motion. The pieces were in motion. The chess game was being played out, and it was in very high-tuned. And the Lord knew exactly what was happening next and why it was going to happen and when it was going to happen. And I love what it says in John 19. Jesus hanging on the cross knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. He said, I thirst. And then later on, as he would give up the ghost, he said, it is finished. Jesus finished the work. And he always did those things that pleased the Father. He never did anything by himself and and for his own purposes. Everything was in line with the Father. And you know, don't you desire to live a life like that? Like, you know, I really don't want to do my own thing. I, I, I do because I'm a sinner. But do you ever find yourself, Lord, I just, I just want to walk with you. And I don't, I don't want to be going off on a rabbit trail. I don't want to be going off and doing this and doing that. I, I really just, you know, and we can do that. We wake up and we say, Lord, help me. You know my frailty. I want to walk with you today. I don't want to walk according to my own knowledge and my own understanding. I want to walk with you. I want my life to mean something. And isn't it a joy when you're in the will of God and you sense that on your life? Is there any greater feeling in the world? The world doesn't know that. In fact, many Christians don't know that secret. 
But there's a great peace. There's great blessings in obedience. It'll be very different from the world, and you may not be popular. You may not even be looked up to. No one may want to have you out for lunch or be your friend. Or maybe you have a couple friends. Hold on to them if you do. But he always did those things. And notice in verse 18, Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he, he not only broke the Sabbath, so he's got one strike against him, but he also said that God was his father making himself equal. Isn't this the pot calling the kettle black? <laughs> They're claiming to be righteous and holy, and now they look at Jesus, who really is righteous and holy, and they're telling him that he ought to be stoned because he had made himself equal with the Father. Outwardly, they were trying to fulfill the rules, but inwardly, they were full of extortion and hypocrisy. What did Jesus tell them later on in, the, in, his, in his ministry? He said, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you are like whitewashed tombs, which need indeed appear beautiful outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. Even so, also outwardly appear righteous to men, but inside you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. So easy to clean up the outside. But the Lord is always interested more on what's on the inside because it's what comes from within that defiles a man. It's, what, it's, what, it's what's with, from within that grows and manifests itself into the practical things. Because if a man has evil in his heart, his life is going to be marked by evil deeds and evil thoughts and evil actions. But if the Spirit of God is in you, it's like a germ. It's like a, a seed that's in you that will manifest itself as it grows. And it's going to make itself known. It's going to manifest itself in very practical, very real ways. And so don't be so concerned about your outward appearance. It's good to dress up and look nice. I mean, think of what would happen if we all just rolled out of bed and didn't even brush our teeth or take a shower. We just kind of roll in like we came from the campsite, you know. Praise the Lord. Looked like me a few days ago. But it's what, what's within. It's what's inside that's most important. But as you know, that the theme of this whole gospel is that these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Yes, he didn't make himself equal. He was. That was the whole point of this whole gospel. To show those things. To prove, if you will. To justify his claim of deity. Jesus is God. And the cults hate that. The Jehovah's Witnesses hate that. The Mormons hate that. Many hate that because no one has claimed to be God other than Jesus. Well, they've made the claims, but they can't back it up. See, Jesus can back it up. And he proved it by rising again from the grave for my sin and for your sin. He proved it. Many infallible proofs were done when Jesus rose from the grave. And shouldn't they, as, as they were accusing him, you, you make yourself God, and, and they, were, they were upset with him, shouldn't they have been looking for the Messiah, seeing that the Old Testament, uh, the Old Testament scriptures have been prophesying about his coming for hundreds of years? Shouldn't they have been looking? Where, where were they sleeping? Yes, business was good. 
They had everything, all their ducks in a row. Everything was lined up. The church was looking great. All the outside was looking great. The pews looked great. Everybody's looking, oh, how are you? I'm doing great, Agatha. How are you doing this morning? I'm great, Agnes. You know, everything looked fine. And yet inside death, inside death, what did Jesus say? Remember when he rode in on the donkey into Jerusalem the week before he would be crucified? He said, if you had known even you, especially in this year day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. Jesus held them accountable for that moment, for that moment. But why didn't they check and, and see if Jesus fit the bill, if, to see the scriptures? You know, what are the qualifications of Jesus? of the Messiah that they had been prophesying about, that the prophets had been prophesying for, for hundreds of years. What are the qualifications? What are the hallmarks that they could have researched for themselves at that time? Because remember, the New Testament hadn't been written. All they had was the Old Testament. Think of that, because we're just going to look at the Old Testament scriptures this morning, and we're going to see, just looking at those, they should have known this was the one. They should have known. So what things should they have looked for? Well, there's, they knew that the Messiah would have to be born of a virgin. That he would be born in Bethlehem. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you be small among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you will come forth the king of kings. And he would be born of a virgin. Isaiah 7.14, Behold, the virgin, the virgin, not a virgin, the virgin shall, will conceive and bear a son. And he would come from the line of Judah through King David. You remember the Davidic covenant in 2 Samuel chapter 7. Isaiah 9 verse 7. That he would come from the line of Judah. That he would be the branch that would come out of the dry ground from Jesse, David's father. That he would come up out of Egypt, prophesied by Hosea, and, and confirmed for us in Matthew chapter 2, verse 5. He would dwell in Galilee. He did. He dwelled in Nazareth with his father, Joseph, and his mother, Mary. He helped his father in the carpentry business. He was there until his father at some point had died. And now as Jesus' ministry begins, he sets up shop, in a sense, in Capernaum. Right there on the west shore of the Sea of Galilee. That's another place we visit. The Galilee of the Gentiles had seen a great light. They should have been looking for these things. He would also heal the lame and give sight to the blind and heal the brokenhearted. Isaiah speaks of those verses. He would be despised and rejected. Isaiah 53. He would be equal to God the Father. He would be equal to God the Father. Isaiah 9 verse 6, the one that we know so well, which we'll get into in just a moment. Deuteronomy 18, he was the prophet that would come. But we're going to focus on just that last star there, that last bullet, that Jesus would be equal with the Father. What did it say in Isaiah 9 verse 6? I love this. One of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. For unto us, 700 years before he would even be incarnate through the Virgin Mary, it says, for unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government will be upon his shoulders. That's all the time we have for today. But please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of John. 
Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m., Monday through Friday, at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester's sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Podcast or Apple Podcast. You're also invited to join us on Sunday and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link on the website. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you with your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.